This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. I have got Mr. Jason Denniston here with me today from Indiana, and I am flying solo. Mr. Kyle Houck is currently at the hospital. I'm waiting for the text to come through to let me know that his new baby boy has arrived. It's a little earlier than he anticipated, but he shot me a message and let me know that his wife's water broke at 3 a.m. I did get an update about an hour ago that she had just gotten an epidural. Things are painful, and uh, it's progressing slowly. So been there, done that. I reassured him that it seems like it's going slowly now, but if you blink, you'll wake up and he'll be 18. So <laughs> it, it gets quick from here on out. But anyhow, Jason, thanks for spending some time with me today, man. Obviously, I've um, you and I have crossed paths quite a few times in terms of some of the video marketing and things you're doing, and I just want to hear a little bit more about what's going on in your agency. And then it, it struck a chord with me when you told me a little bit about your background too. So why don't you tell everybody sort of what your, what your backstory is that led you up to uh, having an agency now? Yeah, man. Yeah, really excited to be on the podcast. I want to appreciate uh, the, the invitation. Uh, super honored to be here and excited to, to talk and, and share my story. Um, yeah, I got a, a little bit of a different backstory, I guess. I didn't uh, didn't grow up. I don't know if anyone grows up saying I'm going to be an insurance agent when, uh, <laughs> you know. No, I, I didn't. I can assure you. And like 99% of my friends that are agents also didn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I actually, uh, I spent 18 years in full-time pastoral ministry. So working at a church, uh, serving as a pastor, and had really no idea that I would do this um, uh, you know, this insurance thing and, uh, you know, just kind of walk through through what that looks like. Because I, I feel like it kind of led me to where I am now and has helped me uh, really do, you know, as well as I have in the insurance space. Um, so 18 years working in small, medium, kind of maybe on the large side of, of medium churches, always an assistant pastor. And for people who don't don't know what that means, you know, we have a senior pastor who's kind of like the CEO and then, uh, you know, uh, assistant pastors who kind of work for the senior pastor. And 
have smaller responsibilities, whether that looks like, you know, if you equate it to a manager or a vice president or, or whatever. And, and I really excelled in that role and really felt like that's what, what I was supposed to be doing is, and in the process, I, I realized that the thing that I do best is I help other people be better. Um, my, my gift is, is helping teams do better, uh, helping other people do what they do better. And it's one of my favorite things to do is just come alongside of, of people and, and see ways that I can maybe give them some advice or, or share something that I've learned that can help them do what they're doing better. And kind of for an example, the first time we spoke on, uh, on, on Messenger, I saw you were, you were getting ready, you were working on your book, and I had come across some tools that had, you know, that I felt were pretty valuable. And, you know, you come around later and say that, that it had helped. And it made me feel, feel so good to know that I was that is literally Yeah, that is literally the exact thing I was going to say. Like, yeah, you helped me because you reached out to me on Messenger and, and gave me some ideas that I took took advantage. Look, I'm not a proud man. You know, I there's things that I'm good at, but then I also am smart enough to listen to people who know more than I do. And so, uh, yeah, I took those tools and utilized them and, and they work very, very well for me. So very much appreciated, but it does. It speaks to your gift. I'm interested um, – and for my grocery friends, by the way, that church hierarchy is like a store manager and department heads. It's kind of the same kind of the same gig. But what um, every associate pastor or assistant pastor that I know had a specialty. You know, some people are teaching pastors. Some people are in the adult ministry. Some people are in senior ministry or whatever. What was your main focus when you were in the church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it took like this this little path to get to what I felt like was my, the best role. So I started out as youth pastor, which is kind of a, you know, uh, where a lot of pastors start. What that means is you work with, you know, sometimes, you know, children and youth or, you know, middle school and high school age. Did that for about eight years and then uh, transitioned into what we call a spiritual development, where I'm kind of looking at helping everyone in the whole church um, move along that personal development and spiritual growth path. At that point, after a couple of years of that, I moved to a different church and um, worked in adult ministries, uh, helping, you know, women's ministries, uh, men's ministries, things like that. But then the last handful of years or so, I had this role where I, they called me the ministry development, the pastor of, of, uh, uh, of ministerial development or, develop, you know, I, I basically, we had all volunteer ministry leaders. So the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the children's, the youth all had volunteers. And I had the privilege of coming alongside of each one of those uh, leaders and helping them develop organizational design and, you know, job descriptions and recruiting and strategic planning and helping them think about big pictures because they had limited time, limited resources. So if I could help them delegate and, and learn to delegate and, and hand off those responsibilities and, and do what they do best and let other people do what they do best, um, we could be so much more effective. And, I mean, I just loved, loved that role. That's cool, man. It's... um. It's interesting, too, when you see how different churches are set up, where they place emphasis in terms of what gets a, 
a pastoral responsibility and what gets a volunteer. And I mean, it's interesting that the church you were in had a lot of volunteers in in some of those roles because I've been in churches where those are full-time positions as well. I mean, that's, it's interesting to think about how you would balance that dynamic of somebody who's professionally responsible for something and somebody who is doing it because it's what they feel they were called to do, or maybe it's something they're passionate about. And I suspect that sometimes you probably found some people that were in those roles that were very, very gifted, and you were able to glean experience from them just the same as they were able to learn from you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same with any great leader or manager. Um, you, you take stock. Uh, you, you look at what, what do I have? What are the tools that I have in front of me? What are the, the gifts and the talents of the, whether it's a, a paid, you know, producer in your agency, or if it's a, a manager, you know, in a store or a foreman in, in a factory, you look at those gifts and then, you know, my, I always wanted to release those people to, to work in those you know, sweet spots where they were really being effective. And if I saw areas that they were not so great at, um, can we find someone who can come alongside of them, take those responsibilities off their plate so that they can just really be working in their most effective place? That's so, why yeah. I have account. Yeah. That's why I have account managers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know where I'm effective and where I'm not. Um, that's, and it's funny. I mean, I think a lot of times too, that that's really kind of management or leadership 101, right? You play to people's strengths and you sort of uh, assess what they're not strong at and you deploy other resources there to bolster um, where they're, they may be deficient. It's funny because I think a lot of times we don't look at things so simply. Like we, everything in life, human beings have a tendency to overcomplicate. And I, I, I'll never forget, I, I grew up in, I talk about it all the time, I grew up running grocery stores and super targets in my early adult life. So from the time I was roughly 20 to the time I was 30, I ran stores. And, you know, I did everything from fry donuts to bake bread to cut meat to set up the seafood case because that's how my brain is wired. If I was going to ultimately be responsible for something like that, I wanted to at least understand how the different pieces and parts of the store worked. I was never going to be a deli manager, but I needed to understand what that deli manager's role was so that if they needed help in certain aspects, I I could help them. But, you know, I'll never forget this story because it's something that just, it, it cracked me up because it was so common sense to me. Like most people my age, um, there was a phase where I delivered pizzas for, um, you know, a part-time job. And that's an interesting experience in and of itself. But when I left Target, the last thing I was doing was I was traveling around and helping open new stores. And Target at that time, you're talking early 2000s, was so technologically advanced from where any of the competition was. And most people don't realize that when you walk into a super Target store, that the back area behind the wall is almost as big as the sales floor itself because there's basically a mini warehouse in the back where you store stuff. And it was all generated off of a computer. So when a truck would come in, we would scan every barcode with a handheld scanner and it would tell you if it went to the front side of the line or the back side of the line. 
if it went to the front side of the line, that meant that it got staged at a different zone. And then when the carts got full, they got rolled out and then they went and spotted the stuff in front of where it needed to go on the sales floor. And then the, the flow team or the stockers would go through and they would stock everything and all of that. If it went to the back side of the line, then it went into uh, the warehouse for lack of a better term, but every single thing had a number barcoded location in there. So you'd scan it. And then if you already had that item in back stock, it would tell you what location it was in and you would just go at it there. Or if you need to go somewhere, if it didn't have one, you would just go find a location, scan it in, and then it would know. Well, at different times during the day, depending on what the sales accumulator would tell you was going on, the system would generate auto batches and people would pull these, put them on carts, take them out and stock them to the floor. So if you were running an absolutely perfect target store and the distribution center wasn't out of anything, you should never be out of product because everything was computer generated from the ordering to the distribution to the replenishment. Well, it takes work to get one of those back rooms set up. And so I would go to a new store that was opening, or I would go to one that was having a lot of problems, but my favorite was the the new stores. And you would walk in and you would basically be handed pallets of these cardboard boxes that you'd have to build because you would put things like toothpaste, individual shampoo, all of that in these little boxes. So you have to construct the boxes first. Then you'd have to take the stickers off and you'd put the stickers on the box so that you had the barcode on there. But then you also had to build out the database. So I went in the very first time, and I promise I've got a really good ending to this story. <laughs> I, I, I went into the very first time they put me in, in charge of one of these things. I'll never forget it. It was in Montgomery, Alabama. And the guy that was responsible, the, the head guy for the whole crew that was in from support help had been doing it for 20 years. And he put me responsible for setting up the whole backroom operation. So we go back there and I've got my crew and, you know, it's typically what you would expect to see from retail. These are people that are, you know, not necessarily um, the most motivated and probably not going to be anytime soon. And so I, I start delegating responsibility and um, we get through the process and I, I, I was pretty happy with how fast we got done. We got the whole thing. We got the whole thing built, the database built, and we were done in literally like Two and a half days. We were there all week. We were done in two and a half days. It was supposed to take us five days to get it done. So I went and I let the guy know that was responsible for everything. Hey, man, we're, we're finished. Um, you know, I just want to let you know that we're wrapped up. Where else do you need us to go? And he said, there's no way you're done. And I said, I'm, we're done. It's, it's not, I don't think we have any mistakes. You're welcome to check my work, but I've double and triple checked. The database is set up correctly. Everything's in its right location according to Planogram. All the boxes are, are, are built. He goes, there's no way you're done. He said, because it takes two to two and a half days just to get the boxes built and things put into position. That doesn't count putting stickers on or starting to stock back stock or um, setting up the database. And I said, well, it only took us about a half a day to build the boxes. He said, there's no way. And I said, yeah, there's, there's I mean, because the whole time, nobody ever even came back to see what we were doing, which sort of blew my mind in its own right. But um he said, there's no way. So, I, well, let's go back and look if, you, if you're that adamant about it. So he goes back and he's like, holy cow, how, how? How did you get all of this done? Because in Target's environment, everything is a common practice. Everything. 
everything has a trifold brochure. So if I wanted to understand their replenishment process, I could go to a store in Minneapolis or I could go to a store in Miami and they should all be operating off of the exact same common practice when a truck comes in. If something's broke, I know that it's broke because they're not following the common practice. So now you have to go and and do that. And so it, it cracks me up because you would always have these people who thought they knew more than the common practice. And that's when their store got broke and their job became in jeopardy. So the guy comes back and he's like, I just don't understand. How did you get the boxes built so fast? He said, I need to know because you did something nobody else has ever done. And I said, well, I looked at who I had and I liked my chances. And I asked how many people in that crew had ever delivered pizzas before. And he said, Okay. And I said, because if you have ever delivered pizzas, you understand that when you're not delivering pizzas, you're making pizza boxes. And I said, you know, this is before YouTube and the videos, all the guys that do crazy fast pizza box building and all that. I said, so I took everybody who delivered pizzas and I made them responsible for building the boxes and they blew through it. And the guy said, that's absolutely genius. I never would have thought of it. And I said, it's not genius. It's just common sense, right? Find people who have a unique skill set for what you're trying to accomplish and put them in the role where they have the best opportunity to succeed. Everything in life is exactly like that. And we do our best to overcomplicate it so much that sometimes you just have to stop and ask who delivered pizzas. Yeah. I mean, why do you think, uh, why, why do you think that that's such a hard thing, you know, for people, what gets in our way of, of seeing what we do best? Why, why do we end up doing all these things that we're not good at? I don't know. You know, I think it's interesting. I think sometimes people don't want to be prideful, so they don't want to appear that they're a show-off or they're bragging. Other people lack self-confidence and are really better at things than what they lead you to believe. Maybe they've worked and they've not been affirmed for having that gift and, and had people stroke their ego to let them know they're really good at doing it. It's funny because, you know, with what we do now, we're in the, in the middle market commercial insurance space, and I focus on accounts that provide twenty-five dollars to $50,000 of agency revenue, so roughly a quarter to a half million dollar, dollars in premium. And people ask me all the time, how, how do you do that? Well, I, I just you just do it. You make up your mind, that's what you're going to do, and you go do it. And the truth is, you know, the the example I always tell people, it's like the scene from Forrest Gump when he disassembles and reassembles his rifle so quickly, right? And the drill sergeant's just absolutely blown away and uses some foul language, but comes up and, and asks him, why did you do that? And he said, because you told me to, drill sergeant. Well, guess what? When I got into the industry, somebody told me, go focus on writing accounts that are twenty five to $50,000 in agency revenue. That's what I was told to do. That's all I've ever done. You know, it's not because I'm creative or some superstar. I really don't know anything differently than that. And so I think we're a lot of times a product of the leadership that we have uh, been associated with. And then I think a lot of times, too, people don't understand how to recognize their true potential because they don't do enough and take enough initiative to develop themselves. Yeah, I, I, I think you're you're. I love what you're saying there, and and really seeing the the best in in people, and and understanding that everybody has has a gem. Everybody has you know something they're passionate about. Everything. Everybody has a gift and a skill to give, 
um, just, you know, having, you know, take skill on the leader's part to identify it and, you know, kind of push them forward to take that responsibility. I find that the hard part is when you have, you know, to use maybe an analogy of a bus, you know, your team are all the people that you have on your bus and the, the jobs or the roles that you need filled are the seats on your bus. Sometimes people are in the wrong seat on your bus, you know, and you have to, you know, move that person from this place to, you know, from this seat to that seat. And sometimes people are on your bus that, uh, that they're, they're maybe not on the right team. And that's where I think it's really tough is, you know, helping them come to that conclusion on their own that maybe this isn't the best fit for you and, and helping them really find where that, that thing that they'd be most fulfilled, where they'd be most successful because everybody, everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to, to, to know what they're doing matters and that they're, they're really fulfilling what I would consider their, their purpose in life. Yeah, I think I think that the people who lead organizations, whether they be churches, schools, businesses, whatever, that responsibility falls on them. I don't think people are inherently born with the ability to identify their own strengths and opportunities. I think that they need to be guided along in that process. I do think that that people can stack the deck in their favor by being willing to do what it takes to make themselves better. You know, I grew up playing baseball. Right. If I only went to the practices that the coach had officially two nights a week, I'm not going to perform at the same level as if I went to those two practices and then also threw the ball in the yard, went and took extra batting practice, practice pitching, whatever else, because I wanted to be so much better. I realized that I had to do that. And some of us have that desire, right? I mean, I've had I've had a very competitive edge to me my entire life. I like to compete. It took me a roundabout series of circumstances to end up in the insurance world. But when I look at it, this industry actually caters to what I like the most. I like the kill, man. I like to go out and really demonstrate that I bring value, that I'm an A player, and then get compensated and win business as a result of that. Um, so the the desire to succeed and the desire to compete is probably something that was ingrained in me from my DNA, but how I allowed that to manifest itself and eventually grow over time, I had to have good coaches that recognized where I needed to get better to improve certain portions of my skill set. And I needed to recognize for myself what I needed to get better at. I, I don't think that you can cast that responsibility just on leadership. I think that people are equally as responsible for their own destiny as what leadership is in any organization. And I think a lot of people miss that, right? I think we're in a victim. I think that we are in a victim society in a lot of cases and people tend to find themselves to be self-entitled and they don't want to have to work for things themselves. They just expect it to be laid out for them or handed to them. And if they fail, it's never their fault. It's always the fault of the organization or always the fault of the person that was there, that was leading them. And I have a saying that I use all the time. It's never the process. It's always the person. The process is never broken. 
right? If you are using a proven sales process, for example, in insurance, and it's worked across 20, 30 different people, and all of a sudden somebody comes in and it's not working, it's no different than the common practices at Target, right? If your store is broke, let's look at where it's broke and now show me that you're executing our common practice. It's no different with sales systems. Show me where you're executing the sales system. Show me that you were executing that process exactly the way it was supposed to be done. And then I'll listen to you that the process is broken if you're doing all of those steps. I use the analogy, it's like modifying a small piece of one of the wings of the space shuttle. What happens when it tries to take off? You know, you could have one minuscule tile missing on the bottom of the space shuttle and it throws the whole thing out, you know, so... I, I'm not a big fan of um, people who have a lack of accountability. You know, I as the leader of an organization, I'm happy to take a certain amount of responsibility if I've not pulled my weight to train and develop somebody or give them a fair opportunity. But I'm not going to take the rap for people who just simply don't want to execute or don't attempt to. Yeah, I, you know, I you've you've touched on these two things um, that. Yeah, that I learned early on. I learned five, it takes five principles or five skills of what I, in my opinion, to, to succeed or to start an insurance agency, an insurance company, um, not insurance company, but you know what I mean? Um, and I think that probably boils down or would be applicable to a lot of different, um, agencies, different industries, companies, businesses. Um, and the, the first skill I find is sales, like sales trumps all the others. Like if you can sell, you can outsell weaknesses in so many other aspects of your business. And as long as you're continuing to make those sales, um, you can, you, if you have bad marketing, but you can close every single deal, you, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to make it. Um, if you have a great sales producer, but um, your backend retention is kind of stinky, it's not awesome. But if you can outsell sell what you're losing on the back end, you can stay in business long enough to, you know, build your team, grow your team, develop, you know, the processes to, you know, make up for the deficiencies in the other four, areas or pillars of, of these businesses. Yeah. So what are the other ones besides sales? Because I'm interested in hearing it now. You're speaking my language. Because I, <laughs> so, I, I, say, I say all the time, you have to be a five-tool player. It's no well, different than baseball. You have to be a five-tool player. It's in the intro to our podcast. Yeah. So um, so this is what I can and, and I'll, I'll back up a half a step um, and to get there. So, so kind of the, my transition into insurance um, was, it was weird. Okay. So uh, I was, I'm, I had my day off. I can remember exactly where I was at sitting in my lazy boy at home on my computer surfing, looking for a side hustle that I could make some extra money and pay off some, some of our family debt. Right. Because whether you know it or not, pastors don't make tons of money. And so I was looking to, to, to just, you know, something I could do on my day off and, and nothing ever seemed to fit right. And one day I was on Glassdoor and I saw this job where you could sell life insurance over the phone from home. I'm like, like this really fits 
with where I'm at. Like this fits with how I was designed because, you know, in churches, you end up doing more than just what your role is. And so I ended up, you know, sitting in on business meetings, running a lot of the HR, or helping with the HR type functions. And so like it really fit. I said, I could do this. I didn't really do a whole lot with it at that point. About a few weeks later, I show up for work for what was supposed to be staff meeting. And it was like my car, the senior pastor's car, and the vice chair's car in the parking lot. No other staff were in the building. I'm like, all right, so this is how it goes, huh? And uh, there's some other things. So ended up, they were eliminating my position. And immediately I knew what I thought was going to be a part-time job. I really felt like I was being led into doing full-time. And so I just... I grabbed a book, I read it, I went, took my insurance license and passed. And so now I'm an insurance agent and, and had to jump into it. I had no, no experience in insurance. I had no in, uh, experience running a business. I had no experience um, in sales. So I, I really was as green as green could be. But one of the things I felt, you know, was... I was supposed to own my own agency and not, you know, build someone else's agency. So that may not be the right path for everyone, but for me, I felt like that's where, where I was supposed to be. So in that process, I, I had to learn what I didn't know. I, I didn't even know what I didn't know that I had to learn, you know, that before I could learn those things. And, and this is what I, it kind of boiled down to me. Um, Number one was that sales piece and and knowing the psychology, the art, the process, the language, um, you know, uh, of how you you open a sale, you close a sale. No idea. I mean, I would just fumble my way through it and 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 figure figure it out as I went Um, right away. Right away. I struggled with marketing. Um, I was so frustrated. I don't know if you know, but I am primarily work in Medicare space. Um, and I've been told that Medicare is maybe one of the highest, most highly regulated pieces of insurance uh, in the industry. I don't know. Um, I do know that a lot of our marketing is highly regulated. We can't, you know, cold call uh, in a lot of our products. We can't you know, hand out flyers. We can't approach a lot of our customers. And I'm like, how can I get in front of somebody if I can't get in front of somebody? How can I make a sale if I, if I, you know, I can't even get up to bat, you know? Um, I, I just needed to get more at bats so that I could at least try and strike out. Um, just, I'll just run down the, the, the other three real quick and we can jump into any of my failures of all of these if you want. Um, so product knowledge, um, you have to have a product and you have to understand how it works. And so for me, that was Medicare, uh, health insurance. And so, you know, learning, you know, all the moving parts, how that works, because you need to know how it works to know how to effectively sell it and how to service it. And, you know, but once again, you know, I think you can, if you're a good enough salesman, you can sell it and you can figure it out as you go. Um, I needed to learn how to run an office, run a business, get contracts and everything from 
what's a good phone system and, and fax system, website, you know, uh, processes, how does paper and move throughout my office and, you know, submitting applications, making sure that the applications that were submitted were approved and, you know, you don't want to end up down the road that an application didn't get approved and now this person's without insurance, things like that. And then the final, the fifth piece was the back end um, customer service and retention. And so I think those five things together can, um, can, can, those are what I found to be the, the, the tools that you need to be successful in this business. What do you think? Tell, tell me what you think about my list. Yeah, my secret, my thoughts on that are not secret at all. I talk about it all the time. I, I actually, your top two are the two that I focus on the most. And that is, I think, you know, obvious, well, there's there's a few things. I'm going to back up before I mention that and tell you, I don't know what kind of crooks sell Medicare insurance because what's crazy is I, I've had my 220 for General Lines PNC for going on 20 years now almost. And a couple of years ago, I've got a wild hair and decided, yeah, I'll just go get my life health and annuities license. As I'm studying for the test, and even more so as I took the test, 75% of the questions that were on the licensing exam were about defrauding senior citizens. And I'm like, what am I doing? What peer group did I just join that all of these questions on a licensing exam are about this kind of stuff. And it just, so, so to your point, it, you, yes, you're very, very heavily regulated. And if you have the variable product license, in addition to that, it takes it up another couple of notches, you know, but it, it always made me wonder, but back, back to the original question, I've run into two people in the production end of insurance. Uh, you know, obviously operations is its own animal. And as an agency principal, we need to understand, you know, that stuff as well. But usually it's either the salesman or the technician. That's it. And I put out a video a couple of weeks ago on why everybody should strive to be a hybrid. Because if you're a salesman, you're going to sell. And you can outsell a lot of other problems, right? In the grocery industry, they always said volume cures a lot of evil, right? So if you can bring revenue into the top line, then you're probably going to be okay, like you said. The other ones are the, tech, the, the technicians. And these people understand every piece and part of an insurance policy coverage, you know, way more than I'll ever know. Those people couldn't sell themselves out of a wet paper bag most of the time because they're so focused on talking about product knowledge that they're just vomiting all of that over a prospect who really doesn't understand it and want to understand it. And so the most successful people that I have seen are those people that start, I think it's easier to start with the stronger sales skill set and you you become a technician. You you become you you learn more and more about the products one thing at a time. It's much more difficult to take somebody who's a technician because it's usually a very specific personality, and then get them into a sales role where they feel comfortable. So, I, I think that having balance, and I mean, I I agree with everything that you said specifically about if you're going to be an agency principal, you need to be able to do those things. But you know, sales marketing. Um, product knowledge are all three things that I think are extremely important. 
Um, you know, retention is another one. How are you going to retain your book of business? What does that skill set look like? Because that's a different skill set, right? There's a lot of the large multinational brokerages that pay their producers to go out, kill it, drag it to the cave, and then they're done. They have relationship managers that handle that business, even through renewal and beyond at that point. And the producers are highly incented just to go out and bring new accounts in. So I think that, you know, when you take everything down and you and you you scale it down to what it's like to be in your operation or my operation where we have to be five tool players because we're constantly dealing with everything else. It's important to be able to identify where you're not as strong as you could be and then augment that with whatever you can in terms of staff or training or uh, continuing education or whatever else. So I I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. You know, everybody should be a five-tool player. And how you get there is is really, again, it's up to you. I think that the the people that are ultimately the best in in, in production are constantly uh, sharpening the saw to figure out where's the weak spot in my armor? What can I do to to fix that problem? So I'm interested. You know, you went into a, a market where you are heavily regulated. And I've got a lot of friends that are financial planners, and I know they run into this too, like, they can't send certain things in email. Like it, it, it's just, it blows my mind because it's the wild west for me. I can do whatever I want, at least as far as I know I can. Um, how do you get around that? Yeah. I, I, you said the wild west. It's kind of interesting that you say that because that's uh, the term that is used to describe the Medicare market, maybe like 15 or so years ago, they called it the wild west because there was like, very little, you know, regulation. And so, you know, marketing organizations were just going crazy and they were putting, taking advantage of the senior market. And so like, you know, everything in life, the pendulum swings, right? And so the pendulum swings the other way and then regulation comes down hard. And I, I'm the kind of guy who, now that I've learned how the regulation works and all the things that have to go through. I kind of like it to be honest, because it keeps people, number one, it keeps, you know, seniors from somewhat hopefully being taken advantage of. But number two, like if you want to play in this space, you're going to have to be committed to, to play in this space. And so, you know, I don't mind it at all. I'm okay with it because I understand what I'm allowed to do. And so I play right to the fence, you know, whatever, you know, I I understand the rules. I mean, I had a a discussion with an agent earlier this year, a few months back, who was like, Hey, you can't do that. And I'm like, no, here's the the Medicare marketing guidelines from the centers of, of Medicare and Medicaid that spells out why I can do this marketing event. And, and so uh, understanding, you know, the rules has helped me figure out how I can be successful in this space. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'd be interested because in the PNC world, there really aren't any barriers to entry for all practical purposes. You can get into, you can get into commercial insurance if you're able to pass the test. It's really, it really is that easy. Um, you know, you couldn't open an agency without having contracts and going through the steps necessary to do that. But even that's not overly difficult. Um, you know, so I'm interested in 
knowing that you're regulated, does that really raise the bar for everybody that's in your segment of the marketplace? Or what got me into insurance, this is a story I tell, again, all the time, is the guy that uh, was kind of my mentor coming in told me that the insurance industry is full of average people. It's full of C, it's full of C players. And if you think you're an A player, you're going to absolutely dominate if you come into the insurance world because everybody pretty much is just average. And there's a handful of people that come in and do very, very well because they're motivated and they do all the things they need to do to succeed. And part of the reason for that is because there's such low barriers to entry to do it. I'm interested in your space because number one, um, I felt like the life health and annuities test was much more difficult than the property casualty test was. Um, But it's interesting to me to just hear you talk about how regulated it is. I'm wondering if you deal with hacks like I do. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. A thousand percent. Um, And, and we see that because there are, you know, estimates between um, 10,000 and 11,500 seniors turning 65 every single day in America. So, Every day, you know, you've got around 11,000 new prospects who most of them have to join Medicare. Okay. Like it's just, you know, it's like a wheel just keeps turning every single day. And so people, especially with, you know, in the life and health space, they see this as a huge growth opportunity. They see this as you know, I've heard terms like modern day gold rush or, you know, uh, a land rush, you know. And and so a lot of people want to get into the space. And like you said, it's it's really not that hard to become an, an insurance agent. Um, like, like I told you, I read a book. I went and took the test. Getting I mean, getting contracts in the life and health space is way easier than getting contracts on the PNC side. And so. Um, anybody can get a contract. That's easy. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree that there, and I see it on, on, in Facebook groups, a lot of times people, you know, saying, oh, you know, you need to add Medicare to your portfolio. And, and I'm not against, you know, people having a, a robust pro- portfolio cross-selling into other spaces. But for me, I understand not only how regulated this product is, but how intricate and how, you know, specific, you know, there, there's like, if you mess up your Medicare enrollment, right when you join Medicare, you could have penalties that last you for the rest of your life. You pay it every single month. You can lock yourself out of ever being able to get certain types of coverage if you don't get your enrollment right at the beginning. And so I, I, At the beginning, I had this idea. The difference between, let's say, a general practice doctor and an orthopedic surgeon. An orthopedic surgeon makes way more money than a family doctor. And so that's when I decided that I was going to niche down and specialize in the Medicare market. Do I sell a few ancillary products? Yes. But my focus is being the very best 
Medicare advisor that I can be. Yeah, I'm with you 100%, man. I do the same thing. I mean, I can do a lot of different stuff, but where I bring the most value is looking at an account that's got workers' compensation trouble and helping them reduce their total cost of risk through the different processes and procedures we put in place, financial analysis and all of that other stuff. And I think um, agents are probably one of the most susceptible groups of people to shiny object syndrome. Um, You know, you go out, you hit a couple of good cases and people hear about it. Now all of a sudden everybody wants to go do Medicare because that's what Jason does. And Jason's done really well with it. And that's one of the things that really scares me about the insurance marketplace is because the barriers to entry are so low, but you can really mess somebody's life up if you don't do your job well. And that's not limited to any one line of coverage, right? I mean, it could be Medicare, it could be property insurance, it could be business income, it could be general. I mean, anything that you do in insurance requires you to have a working knowledge of that product. And if you don't have that working knowledge, somebody's going to suffer. Yeah, I mean, what do, what do we do as insurance agents? We transfer risk. And if we leave, you know, our clients exposed, like that's on us, you know, at the end of the day, if we didn't do our job. And so all the time in the different, because uh, I joined the IAOA group years ago, and there were, I felt like there was no life and health agents in there. You know, it's almost like 98% P and C, but I still wanted to be a part of that community. Um, and, and I, and I listen, and I read the, the posts and the threads that you guys post about. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that that was a risk on the P and C side. And I'm just like, I, I feel like you guys are awesome. And, and on the other hand, I'm like, Medicare, like it's come so natural to me. I'm like, that's easy. What you guys do, like, you know, I think is awesome. And I know it goes the other way. So yeah, there's a 0% chance I would even know where to start with a Medicare policy. And I'm perfectly good with that. Hey, I'm licensed in Florida. So that, yeah, that's, you know that, that's good to know, man, because I, I mean, I don't do any of it. I mean, and it's weird because um, I don't know. It's just the, the environment around Medicare is, is regulated. And I think, I don't know if it's almost people are afraid to go down that road now because it's so regulated and because you're basically threatened with your life and your firstborn child when you go through the testing or, or, or what the deal is. But I don't, I don't really hear of a lot of people that are specializing in Medicare and that's, that's good, right? I mean, everybody always says the riches are in the niches. And if you can, if you can drill deep down and and be really good at one thing, you know, go get it, you know? And, and for us, that's been for for me specifically, it's, it's been our approach with um, middle market property and casualty accounts that are having some heartburn on, on workers comp. That's my that's my issue that I do that I that's my problem that I solve for people. Um, other people that are in my agency do the same with property, or they do it with fleet, you know, for auto fleets or whatever. But um, I think there's a lot of truth to be told about going deep, man. I mean, I, I agree with that completely. So tell me a little bit about your barbecue game because I know that you've got this Facebook group. I just like randomly appeared in there one day. I guess you you added me or somebody added me to it. Uh, the Indie Barbecue Group is that a bunch of independent yeah. agents or is it Indianapolis? 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was it started as Indianapolis, but it uh, you know it's kind of that uh, it's ambiguous enough to uh, to to let you know let anybody who wants to play play in there. Yeah, it's just a small group. I mean, I've seen your barbecue <laughs> game, man, and uh, you've got some strong Listen, game. I didn't buddy. get fat for no uh, reason. Um, but the, you know what's <laughs> what's funny is we actually were talking about starting a Facebook group because so many people that I'm friends with that are agency owners are all like weekend warriors when it comes to barbecue. And once, once, you know, people started like sharing pictures, the stuff they were making and everything else, I was blown away at the quality of some of the stuff that was coming out. You know, again, I'm a, I'm a big fan in having people around you that make you better. Right. You know, and that, that sounds, sure. that yeah. sounds cliche. Um, I, I, I think p- sometimes people don't want to put themselves in a position where they're inferior or they feel insecure or whatever else. I'm exactly the opposite. If, if I want you, oh, yeah. I want you to put me in the group with like the Casey Pitmasters that have won the last 20 competitions in a row let them kick my butt for a little while and then watch what happens because I will take everything that I learn and absorb it like a sponge and apply it, you know? And it, it's funny because yeah, I enjoy cooking barbecue on the weekends. I've got a green egg and it makes it relatively easy for me to do that. I've never had aspirations to go out and do competitions or whatever else. I've got buddies who do, I just like the fact that I can go make something better than I'm probably going to get it at a restaurant and do it whenever I want to do it because I have the tools that I've been given and I've learned how to use those tools to the best of my ability. So it's interesting, but uh, yeah, I think we tend to gravitate to what we're passionate about. And I like to cook in general, not just barbecue, but uh, the egg has has turned that around for me dramatically. I've really I've really spent a lot of time just getting it dialed in with learning how to smoke the different cuts of meat and all of that stuff. It, it's almost like therapeutic, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, everything you said, like the reason why I started that group was just to have a place where where guys could you know guys and gals you know uh, could share pictures you know it's really like you know let's just show what you're doing and and talk kind of like hang out at the water cooler uh but what you said about hanging out with you know high level you know barbecue guys uh, that translates to me in the in the insurance world too because like i i want to be the dumbest person in the room you know i want to be in the rooms where i have to shut up and listen because I know if I say something, then everyone's going to know that I have no idea, no business being in that room. And I've been so fortunate uh, to be invited into some rooms that I had no business being in early on in my insurance you know, career and have, have leveled me up and have made me grow way faster you know, than I should. Um, and I've been I've been super fortunate, super fortunate for that. Yeah, I mean it translates directly to insurance. It's funny because when when my my guy that got me into the insurance industry made the comment about it being full of average people or whatever, um, you know, and, and you're always competing against C players. My first response to him was, "Well, I'd like to compete against some A's every now and again so that I can 
keep my skills sharp, right? And I mean, it's almost like a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, a good movie analogy, but it's almost like a Chris Farley movie where he snuck into someplace he shouldn't be. You know, I find myself in these surroundings sometimes with people that are far more intelligent than I am. I mean, I was at a dinner night. I was at a dinner one time and I had like a a congressman, a senator, a, senator, a doctor of some sort. Uh, and it was all a, a workers comp doctor and maybe an agent from a large international brokerage. And I'm obviously the dumbest guy at the table with the least amount of experience. And I just sat and I listened to these guys talk and I listened to them talk. And the whole time I'm like, you know, I really should be taking notes on my napkins or whatever, but you just try and absorb everything you can. But at some point, I think all of us need to step back and realize that to get to that level is a process. And it starts with you deciding that you want to go through that process to make yourself better and to become better. And then you go seek out mentors. You you seek out people who can help you. Then you go seek out people that need your help because you learn just as much from sharing your gifts with other people as you get from people sharing their gifts with you. And then over time, you realize that you're sitting at the same table, but you're not the dumbest person anymore. And I think that once we come once we can overcome the mental barrier that you're where we are truly capable of anything we put our minds to, it's just a matter of being willing to put in the work. Sky's the limit, man. You can do anything you need to do at that point. How, yep. how bad do you want it? How, yeah. I agree. So what, how many States are you licensed in? I'm in five States. Um, so Indiana, Michigan, Florida, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia. And I'll tell you, funny story how I got some of those states. Uh, some of them are because of, you know, I get a referral in a state and, you know, it makes sense for me to go ahead and, and pick up the license there. Um, but early on, I mean, I had, I, I didn't, I, man, the story of how I got started is so crazy. Um, we were in the middle of remodeling a house that I put on a credit card because we were going to refinance once it was done. Well, people who don't have jobs and have newly self-employed can't refinance houses. And I mean, I, I mean, we just scraped together the money we had and got started and I'd gotten plugged into a marketing program that was going to, that I was supposed to be selling in Medicare over the phone, telemarketed leads and, so I picked what states to get licensed in. I went to Nipper and I saw which states had the cheapest non-resident license fees. And I was like, all right, here's my five states I'm going to get started in. And so some of those states that I still have are, you know, throwback to some of those cheapest That's, states. And so where is, is the majority of your business in Indiana now, or do you have it spread? Primarily in, in uh, Indiana, Michigan, and Florida. That'd be Indiana number one for sure. So as we wrap up, this is your chance to tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. If people need help with Medicare, if agents out there need somebody to refer business to because they have no business writing it, which if you're an agent listening to this and you think you're going to dabble in this, don't. It's like it's like trucking insurance. You either do it or you don't. If, you, if you're going to write trucking insurance, you better understand every piece and part 
of a trucking operation before you even think about, you know, trying to understand how to insure one. This is no different in my mind. And so from my perspective, anything that I, if, if for some reason somebody reaches out to me and they have a need, I know who I need to go to. So tell them how to find you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, my, uh, my website is just my last name, denistoninsurance.com. It's Jason, my email, Jason at denistoninsurance.com. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, during this Corona, you know, season, I'm actually have been putting together a, I'm super excited about this. It's a, it's a training um, platform for, or an education platform for seniors who are 64 years old, who they can log on. They can, you know, there's no cost for them. They can walk through this process. I teach them, you know, what they need to know uh, to make wise decisions as they are approaching Medicare so they can avoid the uh, the penalties. I think make sure that they get enrolled in the right platforms. They know uh, which steps to take and and what questions to ask. And so uh, anybody has somebody that they want you know to refer to me, I'll definitely uh, you know put them through that process so that they can make an educated decision. And then on the backside, we can make sure that they get you know put into the plans that are just right for them. So what platform are you building your training program on out of curiosity? Yeah, that's um, so, so I, right now I'm building it in, on go high level. Are you familiar with go high level? So it's a, it's a pretty cool all in one platform. Um, they, they've wrapped up, you know, your automation software, you know, email, text, ringless voicemail, pipeline, um, lead forms, and now they just launched a membership course module. Then I'm going to build it out in there. Um, you know, we're going to test it. I'm going to go into beta beta testing, hopefully, waiting to get my videos back from the editor any day now. Um, if, you know, maybe maybe I'll move it to a WordPress uh, system. Um, but Yeah, I just, I just built, um, when we built out killingcommercial.com, we did it on WordPress and we have um, member press is who we use for the membership piece of it. Learn dash is what we use for the actual learning modules with the video and the, the static content that needs to go there. And then uh, we also used uh, buddy boss and buddy boss is what allowed us to build the actual social network. So in addition to having the learning and, and all of the other stuff, we have we have a full blown social network, which is really pretty cool for all the agents that are in the program. So that's a cool uh, that's a cool little little deal. And I mean, I think that that speaks well to how I think people should sell. I think people should sell based on education. Um, it's you so could be a good yeah. It, it, Medicare needs to be an education and consultation uh, sale. Um, anyone who's hard sold Medicare is probably, I mean, hard telling what kind of policy they're getting. Yeah. I mean, I think so many times we're worried about persuading people and using sales tactics and everything else. When it, if you just sit back, take the time to let the people ask you questions or you ask them open-ended questions and then they give you answers and you're paying attention to what those answers are. And you lead the conversation to a place where you're able to teach them something they didn't know from somebody else. You've automatically got credibility with that person and a bond that's been built. 
no need to go high pressure. Like people would probably think that I'm a really, really high pressure person when I, you know, going after the types of accounts that we go after because it's competitive. It couldn't be further from the truth. Um, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've got a competitive edge to me, but my competitive edge tells me that the best thing I can do is let people tell me what I can help them with, you know? And again, one of my common sayings is everybody's trying to sell you a product. I just want to help you solve your problems. If that means you need a product to solve a portion of it, great. If it means you need a training program, great. You know, we can help you meet your needs, but I need to understand what they are first. And I think one of the reasons why I've been able to be successful is while everybody else is going in with a preconceived notion of what a company needs, I go in with a blank legal pad and a list of a few questions that I need them to answer. And I decide what they need based on how they answer those. I like that. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to steal that, you know, saying everyone uh, is selling you a product, but I'm here to try and solve your problems. That's, that's perfect. Yeah, that's, that's worked me worked for me for a number of years. And I use it at the beginning of almost every meeting. And I tell people, I use it in conjunction with the fact that the name of my company is Florida Risk Partners. Insurance is nowhere in the name of my company. And that's intentional because I don't want you to think that any solution that I have for you is tied to selling you a product. It's not, you know, it could be, I, there's plenty of times where I say, save yourself some money, take a $10,000 deductible here, do this, do that, or put training programs in or retain this risk because you can quantify it. You know, I don't know that it makes sense for you to spend that much money on property insurance. The building's not worth that much. You own it free and clear, keep your money in your pocket. I mean, you can go into a, a whole number of things. And meanwhile, as I'm saying this, I can hear the air leaving the room from anybody that's an insurance salesman saying that, but that's a big difference between being a risk manager and being an insurance salesperson. Um, I don't need to sell something to show what my value is. I show what my value is and eventually I'm compensated because people choose to do business with me. Just a different school of thought. Well, listen, man, we've been right at an hour. I, it's been great talking to you. Um, you know, I hope that people learn something from this, certainly from your journey. I think that, uh, you know, obviously our backstories are both kind of crazy, but there's so many people that come from so many different things. Like you said, I don't think anybody came out of elementary school saying, I, I want to be an insurance man when I grow up, you know, or I want to be an insurance woman when I grow up. It just doesn't happen. But I think that the most successful people in our industry now came from something else. And they draw for those experiences that only make them better at what we do. And so thanks again for your time. Uh, I, I really appreciate you taking out time out of your day to talk and also appreciate the advice you gave me as I was writing my book, now that that's behind me, uh, you know, I'm happy to uh, have a little bit of a break for a while. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Hey, I want to reciprocate and say thank you for, for having me on your podcast. Uh, it was a pure joy and look forward to, uh, to seeing it when it comes out. Yeah, man, absolutely. And we'll have you back. We got we to gotta do the where are they now here in a, in a little while once we get through the cycle. So have a great day, man, and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. And I'll be checking out your barbecue picks. All right, man. Sounds good. We'll see All you right, around. See You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.